Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Remember God honors those who honor him. God honors those who honor him and there is no greater honor than trust. Amen. Father is teaching you and me two very, very, very important uh, lessons in this life, preparing us for the life that is to come. And those lessons involve our learning to love like he loves and our learning to trust him. Amen. I don't think we'll get to it this morning, but in some of the things that have been preparing for the days ahead, we see that, that fear is an enemy of trust. But love is a friend to trust. Amen. And we even see that love perfected, the Bible says, cast out fear. And it's, it's any form of fear. We have lots of different words for fear. Uh, anxiety or even stress or worry. Uh, but really it all boils down to one thing and one thing only. It's fear. And fear is what hinders our trusting the Lord. Amen. But the more we understand and have revelation of His love for us, amen, the easier it is to trust Him, amen. What's easier for you, to trust somebody that you know loves you and would do anything for you versus a stranger, amen. Well, obviously the person that we know who loves us and has our best interest in mind will be the one that's easiest to trust. So we'll talk about that some more in the days ahead, amen. Remember, you can't just muster up trust when you need it. Bursts of trust must be sustained by enduring trust. And the only way to learn to trust God is to trust Him. We've said that trust is built over time and it is built one step at a time. Now listen to this. Avoiding the ways of God because they seem risky and don't make sense will keep you in a state of immaturity. We talked last week about growing and growing up into Jesus in all things. And again, these two defining areas of our growth, our growth in love and our growth in trust, um, the, these are the, the two uh, critical areas. And of course, because they are the two critical areas, they're the areas that our enemy tries to um, work against us and, and tries to keep us from uh, growing in our trust, growing up into Jesus in our love and one of the ways is by making the ways of God seem risky. Uh, so avoiding the ways of God one more time because they seem risky and don't make sense will keep you in a state of immaturity. Satan uses fear to keep us from progressing in the forward and upward call God has for our lives. God's trying to get you to a place in life you can't get to on your own. We grow in the things of God by identifying our fears and moving towards them. See, your enemy is banking on fear being something you avoid and, and, and shy away from or, or move away from. That's, that's one of the key things he uses to try to bully us. Amen. To try to redirect us. Remember, God is trying to direct our paths. Satan is trying to redirect our paths. But in the same way that God's not going to make you do a certain thing, the devil can't make you do a certain thing. But he's going, again, to try to manipulate you. And fear is one of those ways that he uh, manipulates us. So, again, we grow in the things of God by identifying our fears and moving towards them. Think about 
our physical growth, development, and maturity. Amen. If we, if we never did anything that seemed risky to us, we might still be at home and never went to that first day of kindergarten. Right? We may have never taken that new job. We may have never accepted that promotion uh, that involved uh, more money, but also involved more responsibility and things that were coaxing you out of your comfort zone to learn and to grow and to develop. And if, if we had refused those opportunities, if, we, if we'd have said no to those things, then we would not have been able to grow and, and develop as, as people, as, as human beings. And so what's true in the natural is uh, also, if, if, if anything, more so true when it comes to uh, the spiritual things. The alternative to trusting God and moving forward is stay where you are and continue to walk around the same mountain. And that's also known as becoming stagnant. It's becoming stagnant. Amen. Stagnation is a real problem in the body of Christ today, where we grow to a certain point and we become satisfied because things are better than they were and we let our foot off the gas. Remember, one of the greatest enemies to your best life is a better life. One of the greatest enemies to your best life in God is a better life in God, where we compare where we are now to where we used to be I can't tell you how many times I've tried to help people correct things in their life, and they're like, are you kidding, Pastor Mark? Compared to where I was, compared to what I was doing, you know, at least I'm not shooting heroin anymore. And, and so we, we look at how at a point backwards when things were really bad compared to where we are now that they're, they're better, and we tend to let our foot off the gas. Amen. And, of course, this is not Father's plan for you. This is not His desire or will for you. And so many times we become stagnant. We become uh, comfortable. And the next thing you know, the walls of that comfort zone start to close in on us. So we break free from that by trust. We, we, we have to get outside of that comfort zone and do things that we've never done before or do them in a way we've never done them before by putting our trust in God. Now, we've come to the following conclusions, and I want to go back over these quickly with you this morning, comment some more along the way. Um, number one, we need God to direct our paths. We need God to direct our paths. Only, only God and the Spirit of God knows what we need to know to get us to the place where He desires for us to be. That place of fulfillment, that place of satisfaction, that place of contentment. And, and when we talk about this, this place, we talk about this best life that God has for you and me. Of course, the, the parallel for that in the Old Testament is the promised land where God took his people out of slavery in Egypt with the intentions of bringing them into the land that he swore to, his father, to, to father Abraham to, to give to them. But when it pertains to you and me, I think a lot of times we, we hear our promised land as New Testament believers and we think heaven when we die. Now, heaven's going to be an awesome place. Don't misunderstand me. It, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be wonderful. Amen. Uh, and that's the understatement of the year so far. But our best life is not um, you know, waiting for us on the other side. When we talk about our best life, we're talking about the life that we're living now. Um, when the Bible says that those who've received uh, an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, talking about our salvation... The Bible says that we now, through Jesus Christ, rule and reign in this life. Amen. And so, again, this, this life is a training ground. This, this life is the briefest, 
sliver of time in all of our existence. Amen. But it is also one of the most crucial because the lessons that we learn now and the progress that we make now is what will catapult us, propel us forward into what Father has for us next. And Jesus taught us parables about this. He, t- he talked about how he, you know, the parable was the, the rich man invested certain uh, talents. Uh, that was a monetary value, but again, I think the choice of the word there is important uh, because he's not just talking about the, the, finance, the finances that we've been entrusted with, but he's talking about the unique gifts and callings and abilities that he's invested each one in each one of us. Some of you are very skilled in, in uh, administration, for example. Uh, some of you are very skilled in uh, the arts and, and uh, creativity and things of this nature. And we're not all the same like that. God has invested different gifts and talents and abilities in each one of us. And, of course, according to the parables that Jesus taught us, then this life is about what we do with what we've been given right, to, to cause increase and growth, not just for ourselves, not just so that we can enjoy what we are able to produce, but so that other people can enjoy what we're able to produce. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty thankful for Thomas Edison and the light bulb. Amen. I hope he, you know, benefited from that financially. Um, but in the same way, there are things that God has put in you that, that he wants to bring forth from you that will certainly bring increase into your life, but also benefit and blessing into the lives of others. And so we need God to direct our paths. Because how to release the potential that's in you and me is not, is not found within us. The potential's there, but how to release that potential is not. And now, number two, we've said that God cannot direct our paths if we never learn to trust Him. All the ways of God require you to trust Him. I guess because it's some of the things that I've been studying most recently, but I'll, I'll comment on this uh, again, uh, not knowing that if we'll get there fully this morning. But in Deuteronomy 6 and 23, God says that he brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Now listen to this word very carefully. I'm going to emphasize it. So that he might, that's a key word there, so that he might bring them in to the land that he swore to his father, to Father Abraham to give them. Now, you wonder why the word might is there, so that he might be able to, okay? Well, it's because just like them, and just like you and me, God could only bring them as far as their trust in him would allow. He was trying to lead them into the promised land, not herd them into it, lead them into it. And, and he knew, God knew, that there had to be certain levels of trust in him before they could cross that Jordan River and go lay hold of what was theirs, it would have been a suicide mission if God had led them across the Jordan River if, and, and they not have the understanding of, of trusting God and how to trust God and, and depend upon Him uh, for what lay the battles that lay ahead for them there uh, in, in that new place. Amen. So God cannot direct our paths if we never learn to trust Him. Number three, God cannot direct our paths if we do things according to our own understanding. And the greatest threat to God's ways producing God's results in your life, again, is your own understanding. Because God's ways seem to be, or not seem to be, they are in direct opposition to man's ways. Whereas God's way of getting you there and man's way of getting you there are different. And man's ways make sense to our own understanding, but God's ways do not make sense to the natural 
or carnal mind. Now, I feel like we're, we're camping out here for a little longer than I thought we would because of, of really this one area. And, and it's that God's ways are not hard in the way we often think of something being hard, but God's ways seem hard because they expose internal weaknesses and unresolved issues in our lives. Amen. God's ways expose weaknesses and unresolved issues in our own lives. Now, let's see how we can talk about this for a few minutes, amen, without ruffling too many feathers. Now, I'm, try, I'm not trying to ruffle you feathers. I'm just, I'm just trying to show you something here, okay? Um, the next time you find yourself in a situation where, where God is clearly directing you one way, and seeming every, seem like everything in you is wanting to go the other way. How about if you step back from that situation for a moment and ask God why? Why, why does His way seem so hard? Because that's, that's un, having that revealed to you, we've used Naaman over and over again as the example of all this. Remember, he goes to Elisha for healing, and God speaks through the prophet for Naaman to go dip himself seven times in the Jordan River, and he becomes infuriated at that. What is it doing? The ways of God, it's not hard. He didn't tell him to go climb Mount Everest. He told him to go dip himself seven times in a nearby river. But why did it seem hard? See, that's what Father God is trying to deal with in Naaman's heart, and he's wanting to deal with the same things in your heart and in my heart. It's why does it seem so hard to do it? Why, why does it seem like this is what we, 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 we can't do or we, we don't want to do? Ask yourself, why do I not want to do it? Why do I not want to come to church? Why do, why do I not want to pay my tithes? Or why do I feel like I can't pay my tithes? Why do I, why do I feel like I can't do that? Why? And again, the answers could be different for different people. In, in some areas, the ways of God reveal uh, inferiority in our lives, where we feel inferior. We feel like we're not good enough. We feel like other people could do it better. I mean, I had, I had a situation years ago where I would teach a Monday morning class at, at the foundry. And that was one of about, in those days, one of about 12 hours a week that I spent teaching people. But man, that one. And I was sitting early at my desk on a... On a uh, a Monday morning, preparing for that class, and I just, from my heart, I said, Lord, surely there's got to be somebody better qualified to do this than me. Now, now you think, well, Pastor Mark, why, why would you think such a thing? Well, not that, please hear me, okay? <clears throat> well, let me just say it this way. This is going to be a better way of saying it, all right? Of all the teaching that I would do during a week, those were the people who were the most vulnerable those were people who had just arrived, if you will, at the foundry. And their, their lives were, were um, hanging in the balance more than any other group of people that I spoke to on, uh, on a weekly basis. And it was weighty. Are you hearing me? It was weighty. I'm on, man, the Holy Spirit keeps prompting me to do this. I'm going to try to do it right quick. Thank you, Jesus. All right, can you bear with me for just a moment? So I want to I want to try to share with you the the intervention that the Lord um, gave me that morning. Praise God. Um, and it may not be on here. And I, if I'm going too far out on a limb, thank you, Jesus. Y'all good this morning? 
Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, it's not on this iPad. I'm going to try one more place. Thank you, Lord. Who knows the story I'm about to tell? Anybody? Some of you have heard it before, I think. Amen. It may be here. It was a life-changing event for me. But now notice what was happening, though. That, that responsibility was making me and, and exposing in my life uh, areas of weakness and feelings of inferiority. Okay? And I apologize for not being able to find that. I was going out on a limb there. But what happened in that moment, I'm sitting at my desk praying about this situation, basically asking the Lord to find somebody else to do it. And um, my nephew, Blake Whiten, was also up praying that morning. And he, the Lord gave him a vision. Now, he had no idea what I do on Monday mornings. He had no idea what I was praying about. But the Lord gave him a vision, and he texted me, the vision, what the Lord showed him. And what the Lord showed him in that vision was I had walked in to a surgery theater and was about to do surgery on people's hearts who were filled with sin and greed and wickedness. And he said that Jesus was standing behind me with his hand on my shoulder as I was about to perform surgery. Amen. Amen. I wish I could read it to you. It's way more beautiful than I just paraphrased it, okay? And I will. I'll find it because I don't want to leave you hanging like that. So what's, what is the point? Why am I getting emotional and all this stuff? I'm trying to show you. See, that was an area in my life where I needed to trust God. Are you seeing this? I needed to trust Him to be with me and show me what I needed to do to help those men and women at that very vulnerable moment in their lives. And notice now, I'm trying to pull back from that because I am afraid. Let's just call it what it is, right? It's easy to spiritualize our dysfunction. Yes, Lord, surely there's somebody more qualified than me. And you can even, you, can, you know, you can, you, can, you, can, uh, you can be in denial and call it trust. That's spiritualizing your dysfunction, okay? You, you, can, be, you can be like rebelling against God and calling it humility, I'm so humble, Lord, there's just somebody better than me. I know that, you know, and the Lord's like, no, I gave you this job, son. Go do it, right? I'm with you. Amen. So we, I mean, we could spend a lot, a lot of time here, and we're going to dig through some of this a little more, but I'm, I'm trying to get you to, it's easy for us to talk on this level, but not get down to that kind of what I call the nitty-gritty level. You understand what I mean by the nitty-gritty level? where life's unfolding, that's, that's where the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God want to, want to uh, get down in that nitty-gritty part with you and, and show you what it is that needs to change and how it is that you're thinking one way and you're leaning on your own understanding. See, my own understanding said, I'm not qualified to, to do this. My own understanding. And see, there's this great myth, and I don't want to go too far in this road because some people still believe this, but there's this great myth, right, that unless you've been addicted to drugs, you can't help somebody who's been addicted to drugs. Well, I don't think Jesus was ever addicted to drugs. I don't know. Amen. Amen. Now, this is one of the this is one of the greatest compliments people have ever have, have ever given me. 
And I say, give it to me, give it to the Lord. They're shocked when they find out that I don't, that I don't have a history of, of drug addiction in, in my own personal individual life. Because they say, how, 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 can you, how can you relate to someone who's, who has struggled in that area without ever having struggling there, there yourself? Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And, and he's the one, right? Are you following me? Are you following me? I'm just, I'm going to go with this for a few minutes and we'll just come back to it in a moment, okay? God didn't send Peter to the Jews. I'm sorry. God didn't send Paul to the Jews. He sent Peter. If I was in on that decision, I, I would have like, Lord, are you sure? My own understanding says send a Jew among Jews, send one of the greatest Pharisees who ever lived to the Jewish people because nobody understands a Jew like a Jew. And nobody understood Jewish people like, like the Apostle Paul. But God didn't send the Apostle Paul to the Jews. He sent him to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. Then he took this roughneck fisherman named Peter trying to cut people's heads off, impulsive, loose cannon. He sends him to the Jews to minister to the Jews. And I'm like, I'm like Father, okay, because I'm asking him, I'm like, Lord, why, why have you sent me? Full disclosure, I don't even know what beer tastes like. It's never been, it's never been in my mouth. You, and you're sending me to help people struggling with alcoholism? This don't make sense to me. And so I'm asking this question, right? And he reminds me that he didn't send Paul to the Jews. He sent Paul to the non-Jews. And he didn't send Peter to the non-Jews. He sent Peter to the Jews. He said, because if Paul is ever going to effectively minister to a non-Jewish man or woman, he's going to have to trust me instead of depending upon his own understanding. My first experience in, in ministering to someone struggling with addiction, I, it was mine and Pam. I was our first, you know, what I call uh, a formal ministry experience. We were part-time youth pastors at a church and loving it. Amen. Loving it. The church was across the street from uh, a mobile home park and there were a lot of kids there and they, they came to the youth and we we were having a great time, and, and this gentleman comes up to me after church on a Sunday night, tears streaming down his face, asked me to pray for his son. I said, yes, sir. What, what's your son's name? Tell me a story, right? And his son was getting on a motorcycle in Arizona and was coming home. He'd been away for a long, long time. And, and, and Dad was excited, but I, got, I started kind of looking around. You know, I think the only two people in the whole church excited about that boy's son coming home was his daddy and me. It's because he had struggled with addiction for many, many, many years. It was a small church. And he had basically used everybody in that church up. If you've read my book, Becoming a Threat to Addiction, I don't go into this many details in the book, but that's, that's the situation that I'm talking about there. And um, so, you know, I'm, I'm rolling up my sleeves, man. We're going we're gonna to help this young man. We're going to this. Of course, he was older than me. And, and um, I was in so far over my head. Are you hearing me? I was... I was in so far over my head. I mean, like, he's helping me and Pam with the youth. And little did we know, he was stealing contemporary Christian cassette, um, you know, like Amy Grant, whatever. He was stealing them from a friend of mine's Christian bookstore and giving them to our youth because so, they all needed to hear some Christian music. Are you hearing me? Praise God. It was messed up. I was, uh, I told the story recently at the Foundry, but I, let, let me tell you how much of a rookie I was, Brother Don. I let him borrow my car. <laughs> Mama said, let him borrow my car. 
He pulled up at my he pulled up at church one Wednesday night in my car, and uh, it had a dent in the, in the driver's door about this big. And he gets out, and closes the door like it's not like he don't even know what's there. And I'm like, I'm thinking somebody backed into him. We need to get a police report, file an insurance claim. I was like, what happened, dude? He's like, oh, he said I got mad at it. He turned around and donkey kicked my car. I'm like, it's way, way over my head, right? Now, but why am I telling this story? I remember putting my nose in the carpet and telling the Lord, if you don't show me how to help him, I'm not going to be able to help him. You see? Unless you show me how to help this man, I'm not going to be able to. And I had no idea, I had no idea that first experience that I would one day write a book called Becoming a Threat to Addiction. No idea, right? But see, here's the thing. I'm going to say it now. You going to love me after I say it? The Israelis in slavery didn't need somebody with a slave's mindset to get them out of slavery. They needed somebody who knew how to think like a king. Moses, right? Now notice they resisted that though. Who do you think you are coming up in here trying to help us? Blah, blah, blah. You know, raised up in the king's palace like you somebody. We know you. We know. See, again, notice, notice the mindset there. They resisted him. But they didn't need somebody who was in the same boat that they were in to get them out of that boat. Yes? Are you seeing this? So, when we are faced with assignments, see, there's folks in this room listening to me right now, folks online listening to me right now. Lord's been asking you to do something for a while. Oh, not me. I could never do that. I could never go there. I could never. See, again, you in your own self can't. But Jesus said it this way He said, I and my Father are one. And apart from him, I can do nothing. But my father dwells in me and he does the works. But see, we have a, we have a role in this. We, we have to step out. We have to be willing to cooperate. But again, this, this comes back to trust. This comes back to our willingness to do what he's instructing us to do. So I'm going to say it again. We grow in the things of God by identifying our fears and moving towards them. We grow in the things of God. Do I need to just keep saying it over and over again? By identifying our fears and moving towards them. Sister Amy, she went for training. I don't know if you've heard her testimony of late, but she's gotten a promotion. She's in management now with Amazon, and and they just sent her to Seattle to... um, do training, and she had to make a presentation out there. Well, see, sister's been teaching and leading groups and all this other stuff. So when it came, this door opened. I mean, she's up there beasting it. Right? I mean, she's handling it, right? But she talked about this one young man who got up there. He'd probably never been in front of a crowd in his life, right? And she said his, the, his whole hand shaking, right, the microphone. Amen. Now, you say, well, I could, I could never speak in public. See, again, yes, you can. But at some point you have to, you realize public speaking is, is consistently one of the greatest fears that you, you ask people what their greatest fear is and more people, in, of any other fear, right, 
they talk about getting up in front of people and speaking. How ironic, right? That as the body of Christ, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be speaking to people. All the words of this life. We're supposed to be opening our So you see, it's, it's not a coincidence. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. It's not a coincidence that some of people's greatest fears are, are speaking publicly to other people. It's because the devil's trying to bully you. He doesn't want you opening your mouth and telling people what God has done for you. He does, well, I don't know the Bible. I don't know this. I don't know that. You know what he's done for you. And the one story you're going to tell with the most conviction and with the most sincerity is your own story. Just tell him, just tell people what he's done for you. Tell people about the peace you have. Tell people about the joy you have. Tell people about how well you sleep at night now. Tell people how good it is to be free from guilt and shame and condemnation. Tell people how good it is to have peace in your home and and, and to have respect for your children and respect from your children. Talk about what God's done in your marriage because these are things that human beings are struggling with on planet Earth and they need to hear somebody who's got something going on right, something that works... Right? People are looking for something that works. You found something that works. Tell them about what works. Oh, I could never do that, Pastor Mark. Identify your fear and move towards it. It's how we grow. It's how we break free from, 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 from the, the, the hindrances that the enemy is trying to use against us. And so notice again, let me get back to this point. When, when the Holy Spirit is leading us, when the Word of God is instructing us to, to take that step, and we don't want to do it, we, we don't feel like we can do it, we don't feel qualified to do it, we don't feel like there's somebody better than us to do it, or what have you, this is where you need to step back and you, you need to ask the Lord to show you what's making this seem so hard, what's making this seem so difficult. Because there's an unresolved issue. There's an unresolved inferiority. There's an unresolved pride. There's, a, there's, a, there's some dysfunction that maybe you have spiritualized. Are you, are you hearing me? And, it's, and these are the things that, the, he's, listen, the Lord already knows it. Are you following me? He's wanting you to recognize it. And he's wanting you to let him help you deal with it and overcome it. And this is growth. And, and if we never get to that street level, nitty gritty, rubber meeting the road level of things in our lives, we can continue to deceive ourselves into believing that we're growing. But how do you respond when pressured? What do you turn to when it seems like everything is falling apart? That's Again, that's where, maybe I started with the wrong sermon this morning, okay? They come out, they come out of Exodus. I'm sorry, in, in the book of Exodus, they come out of Egypt. And now they're headed to the promised land. Moses goes up on the mountain to get instructions from God. And the people, anybody remember what they did? They spent all that time in prayer and fasting while Moses was up. Is that, no. Let me, let me, I got this somewhere in my notes. Let me show it to you, praise God. So they make this God out of the, the gold. And, and where do they get the gold, by the way? 
God said, you're going to leave Egypt, but you're going to leave with reparations. I'm getting you out of Egypt, and you're not going out sick, and you're not going out broke, and you're not going out defeated, and you're not going out feeble, and you're not going out weak. You're going to go out strong. You're going to go out healed. You're going to go out restored. And, 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 and this, it's, it's an amazing template for what he prepared uh, and, and has done now for you and me. And that is, they're going to, he's going to bring them out of Egypt with his mighty hand. But they're not going to like come like crawling out of Egypt. They're coming out of Egypt with the wealth of Egypt. All of those 430 years that they, that, well, that's really not accurate. They weren't slaves for 430 years, but for all the years that they were slaves, worked for free, built what was in those days the strongest economy in the world, right? It was time for them to get paid for what had been stolen from them. See, God is a God of restoration. When God brought you and me out from slavery to sin, He didn't just bring us out so we could come crawling out. He brought us out with every intentions of restoring to you and me what, what had been lost, even years that we had wasted. You say, well, I brought that on myself, uh, Pastor Mark. You brought it on yourself, but Jesus took it upon Himself so that you wouldn't have to deal with the consequences of your own bad choices any longer in your life. And so that you would be qualified by the blood of Jesus to receive restoration for money you wasted. Oh, thank God for the goodness of God. So He brings them out with gold. But clearly He couldn't trust them with the money. Because when, there, when the pressure came, a little bit of pressure came, they took the gold off and they made a golden calf and they worshipped it. And of course, Moses coming back down from the mountain, they, he hears the partying and God says, you've got to deal with this, sir. And so anyway, but watch this. Exodus 32, 23, 24. For they said to me, make us gods that should go before us. As for this Moses, now this is... Let me give you some background here, okay? Obviously, I'm just jumped into this. But, but Moses is like, Aaron, I left you in charge for 10 minutes, son. What's going on here, right? And it's like, what's happened here? And so now Aaron is trying to explain himself. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. I mean, that's even more lame of an excuse than the dog ate my homework. I put the gold in the fire, and the calf came out. Listen to me. The calf did not come out of the fire. It came out of their hearts, because a golden calf was one of the many idols worshipped in Egypt. Getting Egypt out of the people proved much harder than getting the people out of Egypt, because the calf didn't come out of the fire. The calf came out of their own understanding. And do you see how what was in their hearts was exposed? Do you see who and what they looked to, who and what they turned to when things seemed challenging or difficult? It exposed what their trust was really in. It exposed where where they looked when they had a problem that they didn't see any way out of. So it's easier to talk about them than talk about us. This has got to be dealt with. This is an unresolved issue 
that will keep them, if, if, never, if it's never dealt with, if it's never resolved, this is going to prevent God from being able to bring them into their best life. Are you, are you following me here? He brought them out so that he might bring them in. Let's just go with that for a minute, then we'll finish, all right? Deuteronomy 6 and 23. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. So God brought them out of slavery in Egypt, keyword, so that he might bring them into the promised land. Just like you and me, Jesus did all the heavy lifting. Remember, God rolled up his sleeves. He told Moses, I'm about to roll up my sleeves, I'm about to flex my muscles, and I'm about to bring these people out with my mighty hand. And he did that God did that are you are you following me he God was the one who did all that was done in Egypt using Moses obviously so he's bringing them out he did the heavy lifting to bring them out but if he's ever going to get them into the promised land he can't do all that for them now they're, they've moved into a phase where they're going to have to cooperate with him if he's going to get them to that place that they cannot get to by themselves. Jesus did all the heavy lifting to bring you and me out of slavery to sin. Are you, are you following me? Jesus did all the work to get us out of slavery to sin into the freedom that we now have in Christ Jesus. But in the same way that cooperation on behalf of the Israelites was required if God was going to get them into the promised land, cooperation from you and me is also required. Trust is also required if God's going to get you and me into that place of what we call our best life. Now this word might, it's not might like like dynamite, okay? It's not might like strength. He says that I might bring them in, that I might bring them in. Might is expressing a possibility based upon an unfulfilled condition. Listen, if God uses might or maybe, okay, it's not because he can't make up his mind. If God says so that I might bring them into the promised land, He's not talking about it being, you know, if, it, if he's in the mood. Well, you know, I, I spent a lot of resources getting them out of, of, of Egypt. And we're going to, you know, we just kind of see how this goes before I decide whether or not I'm going to get them into the prompt. No, no, no. See, the might here is it, it's expressing a possibility. In other words, now that they're out of slavery, the possibility for their best life is now on the table. Remember, remember. Paul said, I'm reaching to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Because Jesus has now laid hold of us, there are things that are in, within reach for you and me that were previously out of reach. But just because something is now uh, in reach, within reach for you and me, that doesn't mean it's automatically going to be in our lives. The example there is when John Mark was a little fellow wanting to shoot on the on the uh, eight foot goal or whatever it was, ten foot goal, and he would throw the ball up, and you know. But when I picked him up, because now I notice now I've got a hold of him, and because I laid hold of him, now ringing the ten foot goal is within reach. Before I laid hold of him, ringing that basket was impossible. But now that I got a hold of him, 
ringing the, ba- the basket is possible. But notice now, now that I've got a hold of him, I can't make the shot for him. I'm holding him up there, but he's got to make the shot. And in order to make the shot, he's got to take the shot. Are you with me? So Jesus has got a hold of you now. Take the shot. Jesus has got a hold of you now. Go tell your family about it. Take the shot. Well, Pastor Mark, you know, I've this and I've that and I'm here. No, no, see again. Take the shot. See, your own understanding tells you they won't listen. Your own understanding tells you nobody wants to hear about that. Your own understanding tells you they're going to laugh at you. Your own understanding tells you, and maybe they will, but take the shot. Amen. So he said he brought them out so that he might. Might's expressing a possibility based upon an unfulfilled condition. What is, what is the condition? What is necessary? Their trust and their cooperation. That's the unfulfilled condition. Listen, if God says, I will do this, I am, I, I, then it's, it's done. When Jesus said, let go to the other side, he put the disciples in the boat. He was going to spend some time with his father. Go to the other side. It doesn't matter if, if that boat sunk or if it flipped upside down with them in it. They're going to the other side healthy because he said it. Are you with me? Okay. He said it. So he, go to the other side. That was all they, that was all they needed. Go to the other side. So when God uses might, that you might be, it's not because he's not sure about it. It's because there's input required from you and me that'll either fulfill the condition or it won't. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. What is the unfulfilled condition? The people's willingness to trust Him. Because just like you and me, He could only take them as far as their trust in Him will allow. Some people do not like to hear this. But you fulfilling your purpose and destiny is not up to God alone. Your trust and your cooperation are required. Amen. 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 Father, as we stand before you this morning, sir, we say thank you for loving us. And thank you, Father, that love is long-suffering. Love is patient. Love is kind. Father, thank you um, for being so incredibly patient with us. Father, forgive us for questioning you and doubting you. Forgive us for turning and running at the first sign of something our own understanding identifies as being risky. Father, reveal to us what weakness, what unresolved issue what what is it father within our hearts that is making it seem so difficult and so hard to do what you've called us to do something we've believed father some lie from the enemy that that we've ignored or spiritualized or just continue going around the same mountain Day in, day out, year in, year out. Father, our lives are precious to you.
our assignments are critical to you. Your purpose is prospering in our hands. Is something, Jesus, you gave your life for. Help us respond with the same sense of urgency, the same sense of diligence in doing the things, Father, that you've called us to do. Father, we love you, and we love you because you loved us first. Holy Spirit, teach us to love like Jesus loves, and teach us to trust our Father like Jesus trusted him. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Praise God. Know that you're loved. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And we will see you on Wednesday, if not before. Praise God.